Helm is a well-known tool for packaging Kubernetes YAML templates and deploying them on a cluster with a given set of template values. In today's episode, we'll be hearing from a person who, despite the many Helm fans out there, is not a fan of Helm and thinks that its design is fundamentally flawed. His name is Jacob. He's based in the Netherlands. He's a CTO and founder, been working with Kubernetes for quite some time. And there are some issues that he has with Helm that he shared with us, and we want you to listen to get your opinion as well. This is CubeFM the podcast that broadcasts the greatest and latest trends in the Kubernetes ecosystem shared by experts who are passionately working on this and sharing their knowledge. Let's take a look. Jacob, if you have a brand new Kubernetes cluster, what are the three tools that you're going to install first and why? Okay, um, well, that would be Argo CD, uh, first of all, because um, I think that's a great tool um, and it's a great starting point for if you want to do GitOps, right? So if, I'm a big fan of doing GitOps and, uh, you know, writing all my clusters in, in YAML files in a, in, a, in a Git repo and then basically Argo CD makes sure that it run, runs on the cluster and, and that I don't have to do any manual kubectl commands anymore, well, I hope uh, you know. Hopefully, I don't have to do that anymore. But most of the most of that is then automated by Argo CD. Um, secondly, Prometheus. I think it's really important to have uh, you know proper uh, metrics on your uh, your server. Uh, look, uh, you want to see what's happening there. Um, I think that's important. And then there's uh, like uh, some kind of elk stack. So you want to know. Uh, all kinds of logging that's happening on your cluster. And I think these are great tools that uh, that uh, help you to get insight in those uh, loggings and uh, see what's going wrong. I think these are also pretty popular, uh, you know, pretty popular tools. I think they're mature uh, and, and a good way to start. All right. Now we got that out of the way. Tell me a little bit more about what you do and who you work for. Okay, well, I'm uh, I'm a CTO of uh, Vitikraut. It's a, it's a small startup in the Netherlands. Uh, we had a bumpy ride the last few years, but uh, we finally get some traction now, which is cool. Um, I you know I'm I'm basically uh, yeah also the developer of most of the platform, but um, so I'm responsible for uh, for the programming of the platform, but also for the you know maintaining the. The, the, the cluster for that. And, and that's basically why I started to learn Kubernetes and Helm and, you know, and yeah, that's also uh, why I wrote this piece that we're going to discuss today. So in, uh, tell me about your technological journey and how you ended up getting into cloud native. Okay. Um, well, um, you know, as a, as a startup, you, uh, you know, you want to use the most modern, Tools that are out there, and you know, maintaining your own uh, hardware is not any is not is not 2023 anymore, right? So you, you want to go into the cloud, and you know, with a small team, you need uh, you need to be smart, and you need to use the tools that uh, you know do most of the things automatically without you having to look at it, um, and that's why. I think uh, Kubernetes is a great tool, um, and uh, you know it makes you makes it possible to you know to specify your your cluster and uh, give it a kick, and then it should run right. And uh, of course, you need some you know you need to you know some tools to uh, 
to be able to monitor, but uh, most for the most part, it runs uh, automatically, and, and that's what I like. And that's why I, uh, you know, invested a lot of time in learning Kubernetes and and the ecosystem and the tools around it. Um, and it, I think it's also a very interesting, um, you know, technology to develop yourself as a developer because you know it just development is not only programming anymore just per se right it, it, it's the whole thing around you know deploying it uh, how it should run in your cluster and and uh, i think that's a good skill to have uh, and which is uh, you know usable in in any situation uh, you know if you want to move jobs or whatever it's a good thing to learn absolutely in terms of your process learning kubernetes what were some of the resources that were most helpful in while you were leveling up? What what helped you out the most? Um, you know, I'm 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 just mostly a hands-on guy. So I just start. You know, I, I have, you have a cluster. You start. Uh, you know, looking up some documentation. Probably I started with just the official documentation, uh, and just uh, get going and and you know trying and making mistakes and trying again and making more mistakes and trying again, etc. I'm I'm not really a fan of doing like courses like sometimes I do but I I still you know I I want to learn it the hard way because I think that's the best way to learn it you know to make to make all the mistakes and if if you do a course you you learn the you know the the easy path but the hard path is not often not in a course and 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 I think that's um those are opportunities for you to learn um and those are often not in the courses and if you had to go back in time to give your previous self advice about how's the best way to learn Kubernetes, would there be anything that you would focus on first or perhaps leave till maybe later on? Um, well, I, I, the way I did is I, I do this with all the tech, new technologies that I learn. I, you know, I you just stumble upon them. I do some, some, some quick assessment, whether, you know, whether it's worth my time to invest, uh, you know, to invest my time in to investigate it, yes or not. And then, you know, and it just start going and find some free time to uh, to play with it and, and learn it. Uh, and that's, I always do it that way. And I, I don't think I would do it differently the next time. In terms of what we want to talk about today, you wrote a bit of a controversial article. And could you tell our audience what that article is about? Okay, so the article is about uh, my experience with, uh, with learning Kubernetes and uh, and Helm. Uh, I found that Helm was a, a really popular tool uh, in Kubernetes, uh, but I also found that it had some flaws. Um, and, um, you know, in the article, I draw a comparison between with, between Helm and some other popular web technology. Uh, it's PHP. It's, you know, it uh, was designed like uh, somewhere in the beginning of the 1990s. And, um, you know, and I, I, I think... There, there's a big parallel between the two because they both uh, take a templating approach to solving a problem. And um, in general, I don't think using templating is the right way to solve these kinds of problems. Um, and I, in the article, I argue that uh, also for PHP, there were better alternatives at the time and still... Uh, this templating approach called on and, you know, there were zillions of packages being built with PHP. It grew really big and kind of the, you know, the momentum to choose for another uh, 
technology or other approach was like gone, right? It was just too big and nobody would leave it anymore. Um, and it's, you know, and, and it's still used, right? Uh, there are better technologies, but uh, there's still a lot of legacy in PHP. Um, and I think the same thing holds for Helm. It's, it's, it's big. There are zillions of packages. Everybody's using it. But there are fundamental flaws that are still out there. And I, I think it's not really easy for Helm to solve them because if, if you want to solve these fundamental problems, it's, it's like a completely different thing. It's not Helm anymore. Um, but still, you know, I, I, I would love to see uh, uh, another kind of uh, uh, approach to packaging uh, Kubernetes um, yeah, uh, projects, uh, basically. That's, uh, that's what this article is about. It's clear that there, there are some things you don't really like about it, but tell me what you really don't like about it. What is it, what is it that you don't like about Helm's approach? Um, perhaps not, it's not really doing the things that it says to be doing. Tell me more about that. Okay, so um, what Helm basically does is you you write your YAML files as a uh, as a template. So you ins you insert some um, some commands in your YAML file that do some replacements, right? That's that's what templating does. But Helm doesn't treat the files as Kubernetes resources in any way. It even doesn't treat it as a YAML file in any way. It just treats it as a plain text file. And uh, first of all, I think you lose a lot of um, uh, information there uh, that could be, you know, beneficial for the language. Um, you know, one part that's that you lose is that, uh, for instance, I have some some examples in my article where, uh, for instance. Um, uh, if you want to insert some values in your YAML file, uh, and this value is a multi-line string, basically, then you also have to make sure that you're indenting it in the right way, which I think is a horrible way to write your, you know, write your code or write your template. That you have to actually take care of which indentation level you're actually working on and have to code that in your in your template. I think this is really horrible and really user unfriendly and basically horrible um, and it's really you know easy to make mistakes there uh, which makes it you know you need more debugging more testing etc um, and you need all test all the cases it's, i think that's really horrible um, experience for the for the developer another uh, example that i show in the in the article is that for instance you have you know normal kubernetes yaml has a very strict schema right you have very good you know, specified fields, and these fields have very well specified types of values. And you know, your editor can help you with that. And if you make a mistake there, you get you immediately get a proper warning there. So that that's really helpful. But as soon as you start using Helm, uh, you know this. Uh, yeah, this is basically lost because your editor doesn't know about the Helm uh, structure and the, the you know the, the structure of your values file in your Helm in your project. I give an example uh, from a project where um, uh, you want to specify, for instance, the limits on your uh, Kubernetes resource. Now, specifying the limits in a deployment is is part of the you know the specification of a deployment. It's very well defined and well structured. Now, if you want to have define this in your um, in your Helm project. 
then you kind of have to copy this you know, entire schema of specifying limits into your Helm um, into your Helm template, and basically you're re-implementing Kubernetes in your Helm, um, the Kubernetes deployment in your Helm uh, project, which is also a horrible thing, I think, because you know it's 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 all already been invented, and you don't want to invent it twice. What about Helm packages? Do you think those are bad too? No, of course not. I mean. A lot of people spend a lot of time implementing Helm packages, and they they test them thoroughly, and you know they're being you know, being used in, um, in production environments for years already, and they're you know they're stable. They're, there's nothing wrong with that, right? They you know, as long as they're stable, then it's fine. I only think that Helm by itself is not really a user friendly uh, tool, right? It, you need it, I, I think you, it can do a better way in helping you. Um, you know, write uh, stable packages, uh, helping you with debugging it, uh, helping you with uh, writing less code, and helping you with uh, writing very readable code. And uh, I think, in that sense, Helms does a very bad job. But of course, there are many brilliant packages out there, and I use them all the time. And I, I'm, I'm not going to re-implement them all just because I don't like Helm, right? And could you share any examples of this more specifically? Um, well, I, I I use, for instance, Ingress Nginx uh, a lot. I think it's well written, right? It's well tested. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Or the Prometheus Cube, uh, Cube Prometheus stack is also a good example of that. Uh, it's it's a big project. There are many resources there. Documentation is a bit, uh, you know, lagging, but uh, I th in a sense, I think it's a brilliant project. Um, but I would, uh, you know, I would hope that uh, there would be a better tool for the for the developers of those projects, so that they would have an easier life. So uh, I want to give an example, for instance, from um, Ingress uh, Nginx Ingress. Um, and what you see there is that it kind of mimics the standard Kubernetes deployment schema regarding the liveness probes and the readiness probe. Um, these are very well-defined schemas in the original uh, Kubernetes deployment resource, but it, uh, the developer of the Ingress uh, Nginx uh, template wanted to uh, allow the, the user also define uh, the liveness probe and readiness probe values. So what he did is he kind of copied the original uh, deployment um, values um, for the liveness probe and the readiness probe into the template. So basically, he was re-implementing part of the original Kubernetes deployment resource into his Helm definition. Um, and first of all, I think that's just a waste of time because there already is a you know proper resource. Uh, and secondly, you lose the um, strict schema that the original um, deployment resource has, uh, and uh, that uh, the values file for the uh, uh, Helm schema doesn't have this strict schema anymore. So can you tell me then about when was the moment where you realized, okay, I can conclusively say that Helm is wrong. Was there, was it, you know, love or hate at first sight, if we want to call it that? And, or was it something that developed over, over time? Um, I think I've never been really in love with Helm because um, 
I always do some kind of due diligence with a new, you know, tool or resource. You know, I want to just make sure that it's, uh, you know, worth my time. Uh, and I did the same with Helm, and and I, you know, what I saw, uh, you know, on the internet on various projects, I didn't really like what I saw. It, I mean, if if you look at the files that are produced by various projects, they're kind of unreadable. And, and, and to me, that's like an indication that the technology is not really, either not really complete or it's, it's just flawed from the, from the, from the beginning. And um, that's why I took the approach that, okay, if, you know, if there's a good project out there that's using Helm, you know, and it's well-maintained and it's stable, fine, I will use it but I will not write my own Helm scripts, uh, write my own Helm uh, packages um, because I you know, I simply think it's not worth my time. In the JavaScript ecosystem, there's a popular meme with two books, a thick book about JavaScript and a slim manual on JavaScript, the good parts, meant to make fun of what language features you should use or not. Do you think most people should restrict their use of Helm and perhaps limit to using it only as a package manager? Um, well, I, 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 I would definitely advise that. Uh, I, I do that in my own projects. I, I use Helm for the, the package that I want to import, right? So not my own packages, but packages from other people. Um, but for my own projects, I, uh, I use Customize a lot. Um, I'm not saying that Customize is a perfect tool. It has its own flaws, but at least it's, it's, it's strict. It's well-defined. It's well-documented. And it serves the purpose of, uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah, configuring and defining my own project uh, for the various uh, deployments that I have. Uh, and I think it matches very well with, uh, you know, with the GitOps, GitOps approach. Um, there's good support for, for customize in Argo City. So that together uh, makes that customize for me is a very workable solution. Um, I don't think customizes is flawed, you know, um, I think there are better, uh, you know, I think there will be some evolution at some point where uh, there are better tools that, that do the job than currently Helm and Customize do. But uh, still, uh, for me, Customize does the job, uh, you know, in my own projects. Okay. But would you say that, you know, in terms of the love, you know, Helm has a pretty strong community behind it, a fair amount of interest. Do you feel like Customize receives the love that it deserves? It's not as big as Helm is right now, but it, I, I, I see continuous improvements uh, and it, it is a used by a lot of people. So uh, I don't think it will die. It will improve. Um, but you know, customize is not a package manager, and it's uh, it's not designed to be, and it it doesn't, you know, I I don't see it as a, uh, a starting point for writing a package manager based on customize. I don't think that's the right tool for that. So customize is great for basically for your own projects and managing uh, managing your own projects, and that's what it's great for, but not as a package manager. And if not using customize in Helm. What templating strategy would you recommend? And do you even, just as a side question, do you even use Helm at the moment? Um, I don't use Helm 
for my own projects, but I do import other people's uh, uh, Helm projects. Uh, just as a you know, as long as I don't have to <laughs> have to look at it, then it's fine. Um, but uh, to start with your own first question, I don't think you should see Kubernetes um, packages as templates. They're you know just get rid of the word templates basically because they're not templates; they're packages, and uh, these packages define some resources, and you should be able to configure those resources. But that's a different thing as templating. And so uh, I, it's, it's basically the word templating that triggers my fury. Okay, good. Speaking of emotions, you know, you just mentioned fury. Uh, what was the reaction from the community towards the article that you wrote? You know, you put your criticism out there. Did you receive any criticism back? No, I did not. I did not receive any hate mail or, you know, people banging on the door or whatever, or I haven't been blocked on um, on any side, so that that's that's all great. Um, I actually got a lot of positive feedback, and you know, people saying, "Hey, good write up," I agree, or people playing with their own projects, and I didn't get any critical notes. Uh, so maybe, you know, people, you know, who are don't like my work, they didn't respond, or they just uh, ran away quickly. I don't know, but um, I think I touched upon something that. A lot of people actually knew, but they didn't kind of write it down or they just, you know, go with the flow and say, okay, you know, this is big, so it's probably a good thing. Um, so I, I hope I made a few people think again and, you know, see that although it's a big project, right, there are zillions of packages, doesn't mean that it's, a, you know, that it's a, a great you know, that it's not, that, that doesn't have any flaws, basically. Got it. And was that essentially your goal in, in, in publishing an article that could be, you know, seen as spicy or controversial or polarizing to sort of wake people up to the idea that you don't feel like you're the only one with these opinions or what were some of the other goals you had when you wrote the article? Well, I, I didn't write a lot of articles yet, so uh, but I kind of uh, have the idea that you know as, as soon as something is growing in my mind, I uh, and I, I feel that it doesn't uh, is a, is an opinion that it is not you know alive somewhere on on the internet. Then you know you do the, the research and are and think, hey, are there any other people that think the same way? And I couldn't find any criticism there, and I I found that strange because the, to me the flaws are very clear uh, and that actually made me write it and it was also kind of good as a good uh, starting point to write the first um, article it wasn't my first but anyway one of my first do you anticipate you'll be writing other controversial articles like this in the future or what else do you have in mind in terms of your next steps <laughs> well you know maybe i want to write an article about why u.s politics is flawed but uh i'm <laughs> I, i'm not so sure if i want to do that because i think i will receive some hate mail there uh, and uh, you know I, i'm not a US citizen so uh I, you know why do i care but uh, but anyway yeah probably i will um you know, like I said, if, if something is in my mind and I think it's an opinion uh, that I think other people should know about and I, I can't find anything, any other people that think the same way, then I'll probably write it down. Um, uh, that's what I want to do more often. And and once again, as we, as we spoke in the beginning, 
helping others, you know, troubleshoot, get through some of these difficulties is, is very much a big part of, you know, making it easier for, for Kubernetes to be adopted, helping people level up. So I'm grateful for those contributions. Right. When you're not looking for controversial topics, it looks like you're into both skiing and scuba diving, two, two adventurous activities. Tell me more about that. How did you get started with both of those? Um, well, actually, scuba diving was um, yeah, uh, like 15 years ago. Um, it was my professor at university that did it. Uh, and I thought, okay, yeah, that sounds like a fun uh, activity. So, uh, you know, just took some classes and uh, did some diving here in the Netherlands and abroad. And uh, it was, uh, you know, it's great. It's really, you're really on your own. You, uh, you can be very mindful if, when you're uh, deep under the water. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's really relaxing. And of course, it's uh, very beautiful uh, under there. And then, uh, yeah, skiing is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really my, my passion. Uh, uh, I just love it to be out there in the cold, up in the mountains. It's uh, it's uh, it's perfect. Uh, I'm a little bit sad that uh, you know uh, climate change is uh, making all the the, the 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 ice melt and the snow melt. And you're here in Europe, some um, ski um, um, locations are already closing down and never you know they're not going to open up uh, this year anymore. So that's a, a sad thing. So hopefully, uh, you know, I can do it uh, for the rest of my life. But uh, let's see. Get a little bit more selective. If someone has to go scuba diving in the Netherlands, because it's not often that we hear about that as a as a hot spot, what are the best places to go? Um, well, there's actually uh, Zealand. Uh, it's not New Zealand, but we have a Zealand in the Netherlands as well. The original Zealand, the real Zealand. The real Zealand. <laughs> yeah, it gave the name to New Zealand. Um, and it's actually, there's a, there are a lot of islands and, uh, and lakes around there. And, um, you know, a lot of people in the Netherlands also don't know, but it's actually really nice to see their reefs there. There's a lot of, uh, life out there uh, and it's, it's a good place to start, um, diving because it's not really deep. Uh, sometimes the water can be a bit, um, rough and, you know, uh, uh what's that called uh, not really uh transparent yeah like murky murky yeah. right yeah um but it's uh it's a great place did not know that i've been in the netherlands several times and i was yet to find out about scuba diving there so that's good to know last but certainly not least for people that want to get in touch with you whether it's about scuba diving skiing or controversial takes around helm what's the best way to do so yeah, so, uh, well, just find the, the Medium article um, and drop a note there. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, um, just under my name. And, yeah, then I'll uh, respond uh, when I can. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for sharing your time and your thoughts today and look forward to crossing paths with you soon. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Take Mark. Take care. Bye-bye.